Imagine being released from prison. All your charges were dropped. You were acquitted and found out that you had done nothing wrong at all. You were released from prison. And when you got out of the bars, you were excited. You said, oh my goodness, thank you. Justice has been served. I mean, I didn't deserve any of that, but I'm just glad I'm not in it. And then imagine going and trying to use some of the rights that you were denied, that you were in prison, only to find out that there have been strategic laws and rules put in place so that you cannot actually utilize any of that freedom that you're not behind bars. So even though you're not behind bars, you still see that you are in some type of containment or some type of entrapment or prison. So this is what happened with the Black Codes. After 1865, when Juneteenth happened, June 19th, 1865, when so-called slavery was officially abolished in every state, including down in Texas. This is the episode we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Black Codes. The Black Codes were in place right after Black people were so-called free, enslaved people were so-called free. We're going to talk about those. Welcome to Do It For The Gram, an Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. So this series, I'm actually talking about systemic racism. And so I understand you're like, I, I came here for the Enneagram. Great. So remember, the, the intro to this is we're making lives better for not just ourselves, but our community. And as a black man um, doing Enneagram work and teaching it, this is close and near dear to home um, and actually doing work. When we talk about doing inner work and outer work, this is a part of it in our community, especially here. And this is near and dear to my experience in my life. So I'm doing a series on it because it can be a resource, not only that you'll be able to use, but that I may also use in my work with diversity and inclusion and the Enneagram in different spaces. So I'm super excited because systemic racism is the racism that is baked into our country. And so a lot of times people don't know it. If you were born into it and it doesn't directly impact you, you will not know because it's in the laws and the rules. But if it never affected you, you would not know it until someone brought it to your attention. And or you just admitted it like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this is you get treated this way compared to how I get treated. So I'm doing a whole series on it because I feel that when people understand systemic racism from a historical standpoint and how it impacts literally how we are today, then there's less reason for people who are on the fence or kind of like, I don't know if they're, what they're saying is true. Maybe it's just one or two instances, that type of stuff that those people can say, wow, maybe there's something to this. And maybe I should jump in and make sure that um, I'm doing anti-racism work and I'm doing things to break down these systemic issues in our society because I didn't know because it didn't impact me. In this episode, we're talking about the black codes. Okay. It's intro music. Let's go.
So around, I think, 1863, first and foremost, I'm not a historian, so I am not going to be perfect with these things, but I've done a little research and I know a little bit and I've read, you know, a little bit growing up. But 1863, the proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Lincoln. And so, interesting enough, when it actually happened, yay, great, something finally kind of good happened, whether or not he was doing it to try to get votes again or whatever people say, that that's a whole nother thing. Nevertheless, it was signed, okay? It was better than nothing. Thank you. 18, come on now, 1865, that's not that far ago. Like, people act like it was that far, like, long ago. That is not that long ago. A hundred plus years is not that far when you talk about impacting of history to us. But anyway, nevertheless, moving forward. You have the Emancipation Proclamation happened in 1863, which a lot of people didn't know. Think about it. There's no TVs. There's no like um, phones, cell phones and stuff like, oh, let me call my cousin and say, hey, we're free now. Or, or the press is like, let me tell all the plantations down south that all the black people are free. Like it, these things didn't really work like that. It was a very slow moving. And then information was not as easily accessible as it is now. So a lot of slaves didn't know they were free till quite a while afterwards. Right. And even if you when you realize you were free. What happens next? So does the plantation owner just let you go? Is he is he nice enough to say, hey, and by the way, plantation owners were white men, by the way, just saying, like, there's something to this. Like, we've got to look at the people in positions and the key people and who they were, their gender, their sex, all this stuff. It, it matters. So these are white males. So slaves are making plantation owners money, right? So this is an economic thing. So on top of a racist thing, too, slave owner, not necessarily wants to let any of their slaves go because you're making me money, right? Even if I'm not like a pure brown racist or nothing, you're still making me money and I need you here on my farm. So quite interestingly, a lot of black people didn't necessarily just immediately leave plantations when the Emancipation Proclamation happened for multiple reasons. One thing is, if I don't have any resources, where I'm going to go? I don't have a map. I don't have GPS to say, oh, here's a near city that I can find wages to live. Oh, this would be great. And then we talk about being enslaved. You don't necessarily get any wages. What are you talking about? Like, so I have no resources. I don't know where things are for the most part. Where would I go? What would I do? Where would I stay? Where would I sleep? What would I eat? And so a lot of slaves did stay at the plantation because of that. Some slaves stayed because, you know, they just plantation owners didn't tell them, you know, and or. They had people who would supposedly break slaves and beat them so badly into submission. Um, and that's when you talk about when you look at if you go through history and you look at the, the whips on people on black people's backs and just see what people endure. That's some sick, disgusting, painful stuff to look at. But it's real. And it's our history. And many black people went through it. It's some of the craziest stuff to think that you get to a point in your heart where you can actually do that to a person and be okay with it. Wow. Wow. We have to really watch out for ourselves because unfortunately that could be any one of us. If we don't do some real inner work and we're not connected to something higher and better than what we are and humble ourselves. So that becomes a whole issue, right? Where, where do I go? Right? So some black people definitely left and a lot of them went to, if they did, well, relative for us, they tried to go stay with them. Um, a lot of black people tried to go up north because it was less um, like enslaved or slavery going on up north. And people of color, black people had a little bit more freedom in some areas. It doesn't mean they st it still wasn't quite a bit of uh, racism going on. But the ending of slavery, the quote unquote ending of slavery, 1865, did not stop 
racism. Here's the thing. Racism from then got baked into laws and rules, okay, um, and statutes and all these things. So literally in that same year, 1865, when they said, yeah, we're going to give, we're going to make sure all black people know that they're free. June 19th, 1865, Texas knows, and now it's all good to go, right? This is a free country now, and everyone just has opportunity. Please, that's not realistic. Let's be honest here, okay? So now we move on to, they created something called the Black Codes. Literally in 1865, go figure, right? The same year supposedly black people become free. Now all of a sudden there's these certain rules or codes just for black people. And so black codes are, they were strict local and state laws that detailed when, where, and how formerly enslaved people could work and how much compensation. The codes appeared throughout the South as a legal way to put black citizens into indentured servitude, to taking voting rights away, to control where they lived and how they traveled and seized children for labor purposes. Come on now. So, so, so what just happened? Now they just legitimized enslaving people, basically. That's exactly what just happened. So now it was on the books as I guess, you know, a law, but slavery was a thing you could just do in this country, which, I don't know, just, just blows my mind that that was even somehow okay, and we thought it was all right. But anyway, if you look at it, the Black Codes literally baked it. Now, this is this is the beginning when you start to bake racism into rules, laws, and systems, right, of how you can treat people. So now, Black people who are citizens, who are supposed to have every single liberty and right that any American has, they've already been stripped away because of the Black Codes. Now there's laws saying, oh, you can't vote. <laughs> If somebody else didn't vote, like if your grandfather's thing called the grandfather clause, if your grandfather was, didn't have voting rights, then you can't vote. So if my grandfather was enslaved, you know good and well he didn't have voting rights. So how am I supposed to be able to vote? Boom. So this is one of the ways that they, they kept racism going to oppress people, black people, to make sure that they still weren't rising up. So you're doing that. You're suppressing my wages. So even if I work just as hard as my white counterpart, I'm going to get less than them. Wow, that sucks. And then on top of that, you talk about literally they're seizing children, stealing them, putting them on a plantation and making them work. That's the crazy part. So a runaway slave is a person who was like stolen. And like, I'm trying to be free or just live my own life, but you stole me and you're stealing kids for labor stuff. And so the Black Codes were a series of statutes and laws enacted in 1865 and 1866 by legislators in southern states of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Virginia, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, following the end of the Civil War at the beginning of the Reconstruction era. So the Black Codes um, were created to restrict the freedom of ex-slaves in the South. And so you may be listening saying, well, that was just the South. No, unfortunately, it was not just the South because I'm having another episode about Jim Crow laws, which were just as similar, just about to Black Codes that permeated the North and Western America as well. So the same thing was going on here and black codes beside those states were still permeating. And so black people, were ma the majority of black people were in the states I just named. Okay. That's Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Virginia, Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina. Majority of slaves were in those lands. So black codes were created to restrict their freedoms. Wow. 
And then when you talk about, if you look at countries, if you look at states now, just look at it now. The states that are considered maybe the most racist or have the most racist tendencies, have the most issues with race, are the same states. And that was 1865. It is 2020, still having racist, racist issues. Come on now. You cannot tell me it does not connect. So the Black Codes, these laws restricted freedoms in multitude of ways, including it affected Black people's permission to travel, to travel, to buy and lease land, to conduct business, to move freely through public in um, spaces in the South, even the right to own property. It created segregation, had different laws and different punishments for people who were Black, even if you committed the same crime or issue, or not even just crime, or just whatever the laws was, it was different. Yours was worse, or you got less. Limited choice in employment and strict labor contracts. Wow. Permission required from employers to sell farm produce. So even if you did find a way to catch some land and do this, they say the type of way you can actually make money and sell your own produce. They ban from bearing arms. This is the thing that blows my mind. We have a lot of people who are super pro bear your arms type of deal. Literally, these same people would have been the same people who are super bare arms would have been like, no, black people don't need to bear arms. They literally put in laws so black people wouldn't be able to protect themselves and or be able to move freely and move up. This is what I'm trying to get to. Systemic racism start to be baked into laws. Remember, this is not just rules. These are laws that this country has had, laws that these states put in place, right? And so when someone, uh, quote unquote, breaks the law, it gives these people who enforce the law the right to do whatever they want to do. And then orphans placed into forced apprenticeships, a.k.a. that is just basically enslaving people again and you enslaving kids and orphans. It's wild. And then preventing freedmen to vote or serve in juries. That's the grandfather clause I talked about. So when you think about it, this is the justice system. This is voting. How do we change things? We vote. We work hard. We gain money. We change our lifestyle, all this type of thing. You can't do none of that. That's the issue, right? And so there's always an issue. You, you can't even travel without somebody saying, oh, you're black. I don't know. Should we give you permission or not? I don't know. Hmm. So literally everything that you can do to try to get up in life when you were a black person in 1865 and, and beyond is being repressed by a law that says, oh, no, you, you can't do that. You can't make it too much. You can't do too well. And so black people tried, still worked hard to do their best, still worked hard under these laws to still try to make it for their families because that's what it was in that time period. So the question becomes, why were the back codes passed if, you know, so-called 1865? You got to remember the South lost the Civil War, so they upset. So they don't like that. So they got to find a way to make sure black people they can still use them for their economic purposes um, and just racist issues. So after the Civil War, the passing of the 13th Amendment, over 4 million slaves in the southern states were giving their freedom, <laughs> quote unquote. This led to a massive labor shortage on the plantations. It also meant that southern state governments were now responsible for ex-slaves who had previously been completely under control of slave owners. Having left the slavery to, of the plantations, many Black Americans were left without permanent homes and work. 
The Southerners were frightened that the freed slaves would seek revenge and feared for their families and their homes. Yes, that is definitely something to fear, but most enslaved families, they just wanted their own freedom to be able to do what they want. And so here we go again. There's just all this crazy fear that makes people act extra crazy because they fear. But what do you fear? You fear because probably what you did beforehand was you know was wrong in your heart of hearts just because some bad law, rule, culture, way things were says that it was okay, don't mean it's really okay. Because you know inside your heart of hearts, your gut know the truth. So they begin to look for ways to exercise control. This is white Southerners, right? Some took the law into their own hands, turning vigilantism, using force to protect their lives and property, which led to the establishment of secret organizations such as the Ku Klux Klan. Others wanted to maintain the legal route and began passing laws to restrict the ex-slaves' newfound freedom. The Black Codes included new employment laws, requirements to pay taxes, and strict vagrancy laws with requirements for travel passes. And so you got to think about this. Unfortunately, this was the time when the Ku Klux Klan uh, was on the rise super heavily and... um, they did a lot of damage to a lot of black communities. Well, I wouldn't say the communities necessarily, but ex-slaves and people um, because they were mad that they not only lost the Civil War, but they wanted things to be the way that they were. And they so-called protect their land and their rights by riding horses, wearing sheets and beating black people and killing them and burning crosses and stuff. So unfortunately, that is one route. But the other route, which I would argue is probably um, more impactful was the ones who took the legal route and actually started to put laws in place so that black people couldn't have any of their freedoms and liberties, really. Like these restricted freedoms and liberties that were controlled by somebody depending whether they liked you or not or if they were a good person on that day. That's the issue. That was the real damage. And so the purpose of the Black Codes in in totality were to regain control over freed slaves, which it did, inhibit the freedom of freed slaves, prevent Black uprisings, ensure the continued supply of cheap labor, maintain segregation, maintain white supremacy. And so those were the purpose of the um, Black Codes. And so the vagrancy laws, when I talk about that, these were, um, it led to a system of penalties and punishments that included convict leasing. You can look at all this up, convict leasing that put freed slaves back into forced labor on plantations, chain gang type of things where, um, oh, you broke this vagrancy law. So now I got to give you this punishment. Now you got to go work on such and such plantation, you know, because you broke this law. Basically enslaving people again on a contract to make money um, from them from cheap or free labor, which is really messed up. It just perpetuated the whole system over again. Right. And remember, this is after the Emancipation Proclamation where, you know, all black people are supposed to be free. But isn't but they're not, and it's not happening. And so who created the Black Codes? White Southerners resented being ruled by Union military governors and officials of the Freeman Bureau of the Freeman's Bureau. And the objective was to restore self-rule. In 1865, most of the old Confederate states held constitutional conventions. Only white people were allowed to vote for convention delegates 
or to participate in the framing of the new state governments and constitutions. The Black Codes were created by white lawmakers in the South and the legislators in the states of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Virginia, Florida, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Just look at our, look at where we are today. Still having the same issues. When was the first Black Codes passed? It was passed November 22, November 22nd in Mississippi, 1865. Think about that now, right? So the Civil War ended May 10th, 1865. June 19, 1865 is when Texas finally got the message that all Black people are free. June 19th, a.k.a. Juneteenth now, which hopefully will become a national holiday. November 22nd, 1865, not even a year later, Black codes are passed by Mississippi. How messed up is that? Literally, that was the response. And so a few examples of these Black codes are include, which I've talked about, labor contracts that required um, and included this legal document for Black servants, quote unquote, who agreed to work with white masters. Uh, terms and conditions of employment were fully documented and signed by a judge. These included strict conduct of behavior and required permission before an ex-slave could leave the premises. Wow, that sounds like slavery to me. Vagrancy. Strict vagrancy laws placed pressure on ex-slaves to sign labor contracts because if you didn't, then there was punishment. And the punishment sometimes ended in your death. So, Crimes and punishment. There were different levels of type of punishment between freedmen and whites. Punishments included chain gangs and convict leasings. Okay. This is, this is slavery, basically. They just baked it in rules and laws now. So this gets even, it's even worse because now it's going through rules and laws and that's a whole different thing to undo. Um, and then it's not as, this is overt, but it's not as overt when you've baked it into laws. And you'll see that as we go through this, being baked into laws, oh my goodness, it's covert now. It's just a part of the way we live, right? It's a law. No. Um, apprenticeships. <laughs> apprenticeships. Courts were authorized to apprentice the black children of vagrants or orphans, even against their will, to an employer until the age of 21 for males and the age of 18 for females. If that's not slavery, I don't know what is. Wow. Oh, you're a child of somebody who's vagrant, who we basically convicted of a crime that shouldn't be a crime. Oh, well, now you got to go work on this plantation for the rest of your life or till you're 21 or 18, you know, just most of your childhood. Wow, really? Okay. Next, civil rights. Civil rights of freedmen were restricted in the Black Codes and unequal to the civil rights of white people. So when you think about that, we're talking about literally stripping your liberties and freedoms away. Once again, like you didn't have them before, but now we strip them away again, even though, you know, you're supposed to have them. Next, courts. Racially segregated courts were established for Black-only cases. And so how does this affect it? So in this example for court cases, it's basically the court system is stacked against black people. It wasn't just like they brought in a black judge and black lawyers and a black jury to decide whether this black person did wrong or right and what the punishment should be. No, it didn't look like that at all. Most of the time it looked like a white judge, um, maybe a white jury. I don't know, man. It just been may just been a judge deciding, you know. But obviously the punishment, the laws and the rules were all stacked up against um, a person of color, a black person in that time. And um, if you went in for a white judge at that time, it's highly unlikely that you were going to receive a fair shake or maybe even justice. Um, because even if the 
person who was the judge was, you know, what people say, I'm a good person under the rules and culture of what they were under. A lot of times they folded to the pressure of racism, um, of injustice and of evil, I would say, to be honest. And so it didn't fare well for black people. And so we're looking at all these all these issues um, that affect black lives in America right after the Emancipation Proclamation. Oh, my goodness. All right. So I want to touch on like one or two points and then um, I'll wrap this show up. So how did Congress respond to the Black Codes? OK, so you have to remember they, they got the word that, whoa, 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 what's going on? Black Codes? Now, I thought we said, you know, black people were free legislatively, right, as a country. So remember, Republicans and Democrats were flipped at that time. So Republicans would be what normally people now would be Democrats and Democrats would be what Republicans were, right? That shows how screwed up our, polit- our political system is, by the way. If you can flip them, the parties are so screwed up. That is real messed up. But anyway, the Republican members of Congress were outraged at the Black Codes and blame President Johnson in part for his lenient reconstruction policies. So Congress refused to seat the Southern representatives. Congress overrode President Johnson and passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866. You think it stopped down, everything in the South stopped because of this little civil rights thing? Nah. A joint committee on Reconstruction was established to investigate the situation in the South and reported the Southern states were in the state of civil disorder and had therefore not held valid elections. Facts. It also maintained that the Reconstruction was a congressional, not an executive function. The 14th Amendment was passed by Congress. A follow-up Freedmen's Bureau bill was passed by Congress, giving additional rights to ex-slaves. Reconstruction Acts were passed over President Johnson's veto to provide for the more efficient government of the rebel states. So at this time, President Johnson basically allowed all of this to continue to go on, just to be completely honest. And so the Freedmen's Bureau bill, which um, which is funny, this is gave additional rights, which is what does that mean? So additional rights, a.k.a. some of them being like actually just the normal rights that most people had additional. But anyway, it was supposed to be this is where they get 40 acres and a mule from, because they were supposed to establish um, that ex-slaves, enslaved people, um, formerly enslaved people were supposed to get 40 acres and a mule um, and, you know, some land and for all the work that they helped build in this country and the wealth they helped build in this whole country and for um, white plantation owners and families. So this was not a bad idea at all. The issue is the implementation. So here's where laws and different things um, don't meet reality sometimes if the implementation isn't correct. So it's really hard for, I wouldn't even say really hard, it was difficult and did not happen because they were not, the Congress were not able to send in federal units, federal troops to actually enforce and start 40 acres and a mule for black families. It was, it didn't happen because of that. Um, it wasn't implemented well enough for it to make it happen. So even though it was passed into law, um, to actually try to equalize some things, try to provide some equity for families, uh, who were enslaved, it never happened because the implementation wasn't right. And the Southern states in the South, um, a lot of people, a lot of white people who didn't want that to happen were not going to let it happen. And so they fought it tooth and nail in a lot of different ways by fighting. I mean, so that is um, 
how Congress responded to the Black Codes and like how in the world did, you know, that happen? Um, so the Black Codes continued and eventually they morphed into Jim Crow laws, which we're going to get into in the next episode. And here are the effects that it had on ex-slaves. The response to the Black Codes by Congress brought significant political change to the benefit of the freedmen. Most of the Southern states held new constitutional conventions in 1867 and 1868. Congress had ensured that this time the ex-slaves voted and participated in the new state governments. New state constitutions were created, which guaranteed the right of black adult males to vote and run for public office. For the first time in history in the United States, some blacks won elections to state legislators in the South and to Congress. By 1868, most Southern states had repealed, counseled the remains of the Black Code laws. And so when this happened, this is when Jim Crow laws started to come in, which we'll get to soon. So Congress actually given some of those freedoms, which every American should have, allowed for Black people to be able to actually run for office. Um, and this was monumental. Uh, it was monumental for Black people to be able to vote, at least Black men, still we were still suppressing women then, too. There's a whole nother issue we have to work on, too, and address as well. But um, but this actually allowed for black people, black men to get uh, in offices of legislation, which, like I said before, this is how we can work on changing the system. It has to come from greater power above kind of deal that we have to work down towards. This was a big deal. So the significance of the black codes is that they emphasize the reluctance of Southern states to change their lifestyle after the Civil War and during the Reconstruction era. It also led to the emergence of Southern militant groups such as the Ku Klux Klan. The attitude to the rights and the social status of African-Americans reflected in the Black Code had to wait 100 years to change in the 1960s and the effect of the Civil Rights Movement. And meanwhile, the Jim Crow laws were enforced, sanctioned by the federal government as a result of the Supreme Court decision in Plessy versus Ferguson's case. So basically what I just mentioned here is this impact, even though like there were black people who actually were able to get into, you know, Congress um, in a very few places in the South, which is amazing. Right. It's great. The black codes impact still lasted until the civil rights movement, because it was the starting of how they could bake racism into our rules and laws in our country. And so when Congress said the black codes was over, it wasn't. Remember, we still don't have cell phones and everything communicating like, oh, yeah, we're going to do our thing and we'll know all this information. Let me just check my phone. This information comes slow and it takes a long time to actually undo some of it. And guess what? When you do try to undo it, you might get killed because you say, well, that's my freedom. That's my right. You never know. A white, white racist militant person might come and kill you or may hurt your family or may threaten you or may hang you. So all these things are real and it still impacts us deeply until this day when we talked about systematic racism. So this is where I wanted to start because Black Codes was one of the very starting stones, foundational pieces to understanding systematic racism. A group of laws, statutes, and rules all baked into the way that we live. And so we have to be aware that if you were born in this time and you were white, you may have not thought anything was wrong. Like if you were born in the midst of, you may be like, oh, okay, yeah, black people get treated like this, we get treated like that. You know, until you did some work and for the people who were like, no, nah, this is wrong, 
thank God for them. Oh my goodness. But you know, there's a certain degree that was like, oh, it's just the way we live. I'm, I'm the rules are the way they are. The laws are the way they are, you know, and they don't really catch on to it. And so that's what I'm trying to connect to today. Systemic racism is still baked into our laws and our rules and our statutes in this country. And if you were born in them, you may not even know how much they're impacting your life or the lives or someone else who happens to be a person of color and is specifically black people. So this is just one thing. I still want you to do your own research because if you do it for yourself, that's when it becomes alive. And this is the black codes. If you can catch that throughout this episode. Uh, the last thing I just want to say is that um, Remember, I do coaching and consulting using diversity and inclusion work um, as well. I also do Enneagram typing interviews if you're looking to look within so you can figure out what you can do um, inside and outside, inner work and outer work to become a better person, to hopefully step up and change and stop injustice. Then I do typing interviews. You can contact me there. And podcasting is not free for podcasters. It's free for listeners, but not podcasters. So if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash do it for the gram. Besides that, as you're going through here, if you're learning history and it's triggering something you're trying to figure out, take a deep breath, sit with it for a while, breathe. And make a smart choice and do it for the gram, the Enneagram, of course. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.